Welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line. It's been nearly two weeks since we've come to you, and in that time, unfortunately, the Chicago Cubs have had their fair share of struggles. Can't already tell we're starting off today a little different, as this is Jeremy Spector welcoming you in. Joining as well as the man behind the legendary Twitter account at Randall J. Sanders, Randall J. Sanders. Randall, since we've been on last, you've been able to make it out to a game at Wrigley and even bring home a W, which is a rare occurrence these days. How was that experience for you? You know, it was it was really great to be back at the ballpark. Uh, you know, it, I was nice enough to be in the bleachers that night. Great view, bit of a sunset, was pleasant weather. And, you know, Wrigley, Wrigley kind of envelops you even in – even in normal times, it didn't really hit me till I was back that I was back until uh, first pitch of the ball game. And, you know, I shouted something nonsensical, but encouraging for starting pitcher, Trevor Williams, some combination of let's go, let's go big pitch, big pitch, something like that. As I'm off to do at the ball game. So you're and, still getting used to the, the shouts, the cheers, the, the, the shouts. And, and the, as soon as I, as soon as I finished that particular barrage, I said, you know, that felt good. So it, it felt good to be back at Wrigley and the Cubs may only win 60 or 70 games this year. And I'm fortunate enough to have seen one of those. Well, yeah, you, you, we all got to get back into the flow of things, you know, when we're out there. Uh, how, just out of curiosity, how early did you get to the ballpark? I know you had a little, you were working that day, so. Uh, I got to the ballpark right around uh, 6 o'clock for a 6.40 start. So I had plenty of time to walk around, say hello to the marquee and the statues, pass through Gallagher Way before entering in the bleacher gate. Oh, that's good. What was the first heckle of an umpire? Like the first audible heckle of an umpire? You know, I don't remember the inning, but I can tell you definitively that it did happen. Uh, it was probably along the lines of come on blue or something, something in my repertoire like that. I don't think I pulled out any of the standards that night, but I definitely shouted a few things at the umpire and at the Brewers pitching as well, because they plunked a couple of Cubs that night. I think Every I night. I think I told whomever it was uh, that if he did that again, I'd be coming out there. And I have no doubt that he heard me and changed his behavior accordingly. Yeah. And uh, as you've heard, uh, I just want to also introduce our friend out in Denver, uh, newly vaccinated since our last episode, taking a little bit of a deserved break today. So uh, how's the arm out there in Denver? Well, I'm feeling okay now. So I'm two weeks into the first vaccine. Already two my weeks. second shot will be the day before my birthday. So it's a nice present. I will say, though, I was hurting a little bit after the first one. Didn't feel sick at any point, but my arm noticeably painful day two or like the next day. Um, trying to lift things around the house a little bit more complicated, but it, it feels really good because I'm over this and I'm ready to be done with it and get back to something you know, a little bit easier. And COVID's been pretty hot in Denver here or in Colorado in particular over the last couple of weeks. This is one of the states where things are going the wrong direction. So two weeks from now, I'll be feeling a lot better. Let's get this behind me. And then I can map out that road trip. I want to say I'll be excited for Cubs games at Wrigley Field, but man, it's been a rough stretch. So it'll still be good to get home and uh, come home fully vaccinated. Well, Ronan, they say you're never too old for shots on your birthday. So, wow. It'll, it'll, it's going to be nice. It's going to be really nice. And I did, I did get out to a ballpark without being fully vaccinated and I felt fine most of the game, but there were a couple of moments there where I'm like, ah, I'm a little bit uncomfortable right now. This is not great. And it'd be nice a month from now to just not have that even on my mind, just something like, you know what, I'm good. Let's do this. And uh, let's get a decent summer here. Even if the baseball isn't so good. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, Denver or Colorado is not the only state where uh, 
COVID rates have been spiking. Not so great here in Illinois, and we'll uh, get to that in a little bit. But uh, I was myself just out last week in Arizona, bachelor party for a friend of mine, and it honestly did not seem like COVID was even a thing. Ever. Just, you know, ever. Just not a lot of masks, not a lot of mask usage, just people doing their own thing. But uh, just a reminder to all the folks listening to follow us along at BTYL Podcast. So if you want to get more Randall, more Ronan, more uh, me, Jeremy Spector, you can follow along. And uh, if you want to follow along individually at Ronan O'Shea, at Randall J. Sanders, at JR Speck. So uh, you'll get more great content there. But we're going to start off a little bit talking about uh, this COVID outbreak with the Cubs having some issues. Uh, first base, Craig, uh, first base coach Craig Driver, uh, the bullpen coach Chris Young. Craig Driver did not make it down to Pittsburgh. He tested positive before the trip. Everybody on the trip tested negative. The entire traveling party, so they went ahead. They played the series in Pittsburgh. Then coming back from Pittsburgh to Milwaukee on the team flight, Chris Young tests positive as well. So now we have three players placed on the COVID list. And Brandon Workman, Dan Winkler, Jason Adam. I don't know if that's because out in the bullpen, maybe on the flight. I'm assuming close contact. So we have a call up today in Brad Wick, who pitched today. Justin Steele, who pitched today and looked pretty good. And Pedro Strope coming back. And a little ir- irony, you know, missing for co- uh, breaking COVID protocols in spring training, yet getting the call up. So everyone back uh, in Chicago that's on the list, isolating themselves, hoping there's not a real out- outbreak. But to me, I know we have a lot to talk about with the Cubs on the field, but this off the field issue, this is a very big concern to me. I don't know what's going on here. Randall, what are, what are your thoughts on this? You know, they go the entirety of the shortened season last year without a positive test during the season. I think they may have had a couple during intake. Um, not so lucky this year, two coaches and three close contacts now. And, you know, David Ross keeps saying he hopes these are isolated. And I believe a lot of the players are wearing contact tracing devices that, marked down electronically when they've been within uh, a certain distance for a certain amount of time so that they can more efficiently contact trace if somebody does come up positive. So you would hope that they have that data that tells them uh, the three pitchers you mentioned are the only ones who were in close contact with Chris Young, but it's unfortunate. And after 60 games, a 60 game season of testing of no, no positive tests, not so lucky this year. You just hope it does not go beyond uh, these two coaches and these three pitchers. It, it's pretty scary. And as you were saying there, Randall, it is uncharted territory because the Cubs didn't have to deal with this last year. Um, what I think about with this is it, it's, it's also scary that there's a ripple effect that goes to this as well. Like, yes, these are generally young, healthy individuals that are probably going to be fine in navigating getting COVID, but they're not the only people that are going to be impacted by this. They've got wives and, and partners and kids and parents, and they've got support staff who come to them and cook for them and train, help them train all of that, all of whom are connected to people who are vulnerable to COVID-19. So that's what freaks me out about it. I think the Cubs were fortunate last year to avoid any issues. It felt inevitable this year, and I'm hoping that maybe this will be the catalyst to get the team to at least 85% vaccine rates. It kind of boggles my mind that they wouldn't want to do that anyway for the relaxed protocol. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. Yeah. I was just about to bring that up. That was something that I found a little odd, especially considering how the Cubs have been. I mean, especially with Theo uh, who's no longer around, but it seems to me that other teams have already been like, yeah, we've gotten 85% of our guys vaccinated or at least one dose and we're getting there and the Cubs have been like well 
we'll see. We still have some holdouts. Some players have gotten it. There hasn't been really any reporting that the Cubs are like there. You look at the White Sox, they tweeted out the other day, uh, you had a picture of Lucas Giolito and Tim Anderson, and they were like, look, the city of Chicago helping or whatever local hospital uh, helping them get, I think they all got like Johnson Johnson's to be honest, but they got to 85% guys being vaccinated. And yet it doesn't seem like the Cubs really are there. So I'm, I'm curious as to who the whole, I mean, not to drive into any privacy, but who the holdouts are with the situation is because why wouldn't you want to be able to, you know, not wear a mask around your guys now, you know, be a little bit more normal. Yeah. I, I know in the NBA, I think they're letting guys that are vaccinated regardless, just walk around without a mask uh, regardless of how the rest of the team is not like a team to 85%, of course, more guys in a MLB traveling party, but uh, you know, bias said he got it. So it's a concerning situation to me. I don't, I'm just the part about to me that I'm worried about is Chris Young being positive traveling on the plane. I don't know. I yeah. assume they make them wear masks on the plane, well, but that's look, a concern to me. Well, let me ask you, 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 of the three of us, you've most recently recently been on a plane. What was that experience like flying to Phoenix? I mean, were people masked up at their seats or what are, what are you doing here? I know it's different than a charter flight, but I'm just trying to get a sense. I haven't been on a plane in a year and a half, so yeah. I, I don't know what it's like, you know? No, that, this past weekend was my first time uh, traveling on a commercial airplane in, you know, uh, yeah, probably a year and a half, probably just like you. Um, I would, yeah, I would generally, um, everybody was masked. I would say on the plane, I was on, my plane was packed both ways, full plane. Middle so seats. So every seat, every seat taken, basically not really many, everybody was masked, but you know, if I was not fully vaccinated, I don't know if I would have been comfortable uh, doing that, going on a plane. I, uh, the day I left thir- uh, Thursday was two weeks from my second vaccination. So I was, I left on that day and getting in, I, you know, I, I, I got to the airport a little or O'Hare a little early, uh, checked my clubs. I was bringing my golf clubs and I went to the gate and I sat down and then, and I, I thought I felt pretty comfortable. Everyone's masked. There was good distance to the gate. You can, on the gate, you, you know, you can keep your distance. But I was surprised at how many people there were. The security line, basically, which is, I mean, I have TSA pre-check, so I didn't really <laughs> have an issue going through the security line. But it was still kind of packed. Uh, I had to check my bag, so I had to wait in the line. Everybody was kind of on top of each other. So it wasn't like anything different, really. But so my experience was that it basically was life as normal, except for maybe a little bit at the gate and everybody was wearing masks. There was yeah. high mask compliance. I would say at both airports I went to, even in Den- uh, Arizona, I think there was high mask compliance in Arizona itself was a little different. I got I have a follow up question and then we can get back to the Cubs. But of your all time swag walks, those high confident struts that you've done and two come to mind initially. Uh, the fall campus at the University of Illinois getting your Fighting Illini Orange Crush tickets, you know, given the the spring that they just had. Uh, Cubs winning the World Series, big time, you know, strut fest. How did you feel bypassing that long security line while being fully vaccinated? That's got to be up there. It was, it was up there. It was a good swag walk. Actually, the return, I had an even better swag walk because what happened was I, I was with a group of guys. We were returning a rental car. I got there a little earlier. Uh, four of us, we had to get on a shuttle to get from the rental car place over to the terminal. Then I I was the only one in my group, this group of guys, there were 13 of us on a trip, a few of us brought our clubs. I was the only one in this group that brought their clubs. So I had to go to the check-in. So I went and I checked in my clubs, which took a while. And then I had, I went up 
and I had to go through TSA pre-check. And we all, my buddy had, my buddy, there was a little bit of uh, some D-Gen action this weekend. My buddy had some money on Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, and that oh. was, well, I was pretty legit bet, but he that's wanted good, to get that's in there. That's a good bet. Yeah, this was before Thursday. So he got some good odds on this. And he wanted to get in there to watch uh, at the hotel, whatever, bar or whatever. So I was walking up and I got through TSA pre and then I got I went through my TSA pre-check, went through security. I got flagged my bag because apparently I accidentally brought some like, I don't know. I don't know what was in my bag. It was like hair product or something that was oh. too big, too much of a, of a vi- in the vial. You had liquid. So the guy asked me if I wanted to go check my bag. I was like, no, just toss it. I don't, I don't care. I'd rather have my bag. I don't need whatever hair product <laughs> this is. So I get out. I go to be my buddy at the thing and the other two guys, they hadn't gone through. So I was oh. there. I was feeling pretty swaggy. I was like, whoa, I had checked my bag. I got pulled out of security. I got whatever. And yet I made it through five minutes before these guys. So it was a pretty Randall, good uh, walk there. Randall, you ever been stopped by airport security? No, I'm fortunate to have ah, never been stopped by airport security. However, I also have TSA pre-check. And in the uh, before times of flying, it is, uh, it's a wonderful thing. To, to go into the much shorter line, not have to take a whole bunch of stuff out of your bag and shoes off. Um, so I can only imagine that TSA pre-check plus that feeling of being double vaccinated. I just, I imagine it feels like uh, complete invincibility. Randall, you don't know what you've been missing when you've had to be full body searched. You know, you, you have me there. I don't know what I've been missing. Anyway. <laughs> uh, For not having a proper said, idea Going back to what you said earlier, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of urgency on the part of the collective Cubs roster to hit that 85% for uh, relaxed, relaxed protocols. And that's unfortunate for reasons we've gone over already. I and mean, you would hope that this, uh, this slate of positive tests that have come up maybe kicks a few guys in the ass and makes them realize that if enough people get vaccinated, this A, becomes much less of a concern, and B, Yes, you can relax the protocols when you're with the team. You're, you can be around your family more on the road. You can do things more on the road. And you would think that would be enough of a carrot on the stick to get uh, a few guys to change their minds. But uh, again, it, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of urgency to get there. You know, I, I'd love to pick, and this would never happen, but I would love to have 20 minutes with Tommy Hadovy. We have a beer and we could talk because this is a guy who got COVID last year, has vocalized to the team what a horrible experience it was for him and his family he's the pitching coach and there's guys on this team that "Eh, i don't want to do it or it's not worth it or it's not something that i need right now i would just love to know how he felt or what that is like in his head because i imagine somebody who's been through this and seen the worst of it that's got to piss you off even more with the three of us thank god you know we've been very lucky we've been very fortunate and the people closest to us for the most part have been healthy we're incredibly lucky in that way this is your pitching coach and he got sick and you don't feel the need to get the shot that just doesn't sit right with me. There's some weird vibes around this team right now. And obviously you feel that way cause they're not winning, but it just feels like what, how hard is it to get this part? Right. Right. This is the easy thing. Get a shot in your arm. And in a couple of weeks, you can have kind of a normal experience on the road, but they can't do that. And I, I just don't like how that's sitting. I would love to know if uh, either Craig driver or Chris young, did get a vaccination and still tested positive. I mean, maybe they weren't in the 14 week period, or maybe somehow there was a breakthrough, who knows, but uh, you know, or Brandon Workman, Dan Winkler and Jason Adam themselves. But uh, we, we know bias got it. He said himself, he did it with his family. He just felt that was the right decision for him. Uh, 
Alzelay is also one dose into a two dose regimen. Okay. I would assume Chris Bryant has just based on the way he talked about it last year, taking everything serious he, with his one year old child was a big deal, but yeah, it did not seem like there's that sense of urgency that other teams have had. Even the Cardinals got to the 80, they were worried at first, but then they said, we've gotten to that 85% spot where we believe we can open up a little bit. So it's just interesting. I, I mean, maybe guys are afraid. Randall mentioned this earlier a few weeks ago that, you know, you do get a sore arm and that could help hurt, you know, uh, maybe a swing or something. Obviously you wouldn't get it in your pitching arm, your hitting arm or whatever, throwing arm, but you know, maybe there's something like that. Maybe they're afraid of, a, yeah, uh, you know, some side effects or something, but it, it's Ross, disappointing. Ross has said that they're going to try and stagger the vaccinations player by player. So as to maybe get a, a certain pitcher the day after he pitches uh, and make that less of a concern. But we're, it seems like we're doing a whole lot of ifs and buts. And even with all that, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of urgency. You have teams who vaccinated nearly their entire traveling party in a single day, and the Cubs are struggling to do it over the course of weeks now. It's, it's right. unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. Uh, it's been it's a disappointing situation. And, and you know, I, if, to move on to another disappointing situation has been <laughs> the way this team has played over the past 10 days. Uh, I, they're four and six now, I believe, after the loss tonight. They did have a little bit of a rally in the ninth inning tonight. Got to 6-3, but uh, another loss. So what? something I think we're going to look into doing is we decided we as a segment, you know, out, after a series or two, we have what we call our two up, two down. Uh, two guys that are two situations that have been going well, two that have not been as well. And even today, our two up is still looking pretty good. Uh, Craig Kimbrell, I thought, has been fantastic. I mean, I got off an airplane in Arizona. Cubs, I it was like right after Baez apparently hit a home run. Cubs looked like they were doing pretty well in in uh, Pittsburgh. They were pitching well, looked like. And I get off. I'm on a, as I said, the shell, get to the rental car place. I got the game day on my phone. And I just see Dan Winkler throwing ball after ball after ball after ball. And I'm like, <laughs> this, this, this three batter minimum is going to screw us right now because – any other year you're getting this guy out and he's just whatever. And then comes to the bases loaded. I'm like, Kimbrel, I don't know. Two strikeouts, then gets one, two, three in the ninth. That's a five out save. I'm not even sure if Kimbrel has ever had a five out save in his career. This guy has pitched 4.2 innings. He's thrown, had nine strikeouts. He has no walks. This is Craig Kimbrel at his best. I mean, he's been great. I, I don't know. I've been a Craig Kimbrel downer guy and I don't, I can't see anything wrong. And if he pitches this way, I mean, you got to get the ball to him. You have to get the ball to him, but I think he's been great. Randall. I mean, you were wanting the Cubs to sign Kimbrell. This has to be what you were hoping for. This is every bit the Craig Kimbrell you were hoping to get. And you know, this is probably his first, no, not probably. This is definitely his first normal spring training with the Cubs. He did not have a spring training in 2019 signing uh, midway through the season. Last year, of course, was its own, its own devil. So this is his first normal spring, normal offseason with the Cubs. Uh, he was a little shaky at times in the spring, and people I know were doing the uh, not nervous, but uh, – and then he comes out of the gate doing what he's done for most of his career. He's sitting 96-97 right now, and he's a guy who generally builds up velocity over the course of the season. He was 98 uh, towards the tail end of last season. The control is there for him right now. The breaking pitch is there for him right now. Jeremy, that scenario you mentioned where Dan Winkler walked the bases loaded on three walks, I'm very glad I was not watching that game live 
because I think I probably <laughs> would have lost my mind twice, maybe even three there would times. Have been some one, tweets. One for each walk. Um, and to find out after the fact, I didn't realize that Kimbrell's save was five outs that day until I saw the box score after the game. And that's what you want your closer to do. You want him to be able to come in in a big spot uh, and with the bases loaded and get the next two outs on swinging strikeouts. You don't even give the defense a chance to uh, uh, potentially screw it up. So he's pitching as well as we've seen him in a Cubs uniform. And not to be a downer again, but I feel like that's going to be a recurring theme uh, in this particular edition. If he keeps pitching like this and the Cubs keep playing like they do, that's a real nice trade ship for you come, come the deadline. That's exactly where I'm going or where I was planning on going with it. Kimbrell's really important to this Cubs season in two ways. If this team has any chance of winning the division or competing for a wild card spot, they need a lights out closer. He looks like a light out closer right now. If this team struggles and it looks like they're going to struggle and this is probably going to continue more on the path like it is than it getting better. Kimbrell is a very attractive piece and any team in a playoff push is going to want that closer. Now, I don't know that the closer market is what it was four or five years ago when the Cubs were giving up top prospects for a role this, but you're going to get something back for Kimbrell. And that's, what's so important. And you know, what's fun too about it is the no walks, all the strikeouts. I know it's early on the year. It's only been four games. His FIP right now, negative, negative 0.71. So you can have fun with numbers with the small sample size, but this is like the best case scenario, Craig Kimbrell. This is the guy that they went out and signed. And this is not a guy who we were kind of worried about a month ago after his first spring training start. We're like, Oh God, another one of these. So it's been very fun watching him put it together. And the hope is just stay healthy, keep it going because win or lose for the Cubs, Kimbrell's an important piece of what's coming next. And if he stays healthy, they're going to get a decent amount back for him. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned on the trade deadline, but one thing we were worried about uh, maybe last year, the year before, was whether Craig Kimbrell was tipping his pitches. Uh, last year, I remember early on, he was throwing – his fastball was getting smoked and nobody was swinging at his curves. And it, nobody was throwing curve after curve after curve. He it wasn't finding the zone. Nobody was swinging at it. And, and then they get a fastball and it just gets smoked. Like, it was almost like they knew what was coming and we never could really yeah. figure it out why. But this year – He's been placing that curve in the zone. He's been getting swings on that curve. The fastball, you know, 95, 96, 97, has been solid. Not, I mean, not like elite, elite, but, but good enough to throw it. And, uh, and he's looked great. Uh, as you mentioned, a negative FIP is a huge deal. He hasn't allowed a run. He hasn't had a walk. Craig Kimbrell has not had a walk. <laughs> he, Yeah, he's averaging over two strikeouts per inning, and he hasn't had a walk. That's insane. And uh, like somebody like that, if he keeps pitching like that, if the, even the Cubs fall out of it, as you mentioned, he's going to be, I, I can't imagine he wouldn't be wanted on the open market. I mean, for sure. Maybe he's got a big contract. The Cubs might have to put, pay him some money. I, I don't know how Tom Ricketts will feel about that, but mm. who knows? But uh, I can't imagine he wouldn't be in demand. He, he seems like right. he's lights out right now. Uh, Agreed. Okay, yeah, go. And then moving on, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Bryant has been awesome. I mean, he's been healthy seemingly. Uh, he uh, coming in today, he had six extra base hits and two homers today. He makes that seven extra base hits and three homers. Uh, and I, I, Chris Bryant, he's the only guy who seemingly right now is hitting on this club. And he looks like the old Chris Bryant, uh, uh, you know, not like last year when he was uh, struggling. Uh, he only played 30 some odd games last year. So it's hard to take anything away from that or even, the end of 2019 when he got hurt in San Francisco, he, he had like a 963 OPS when he hurt his knee in San Francisco 
and he kind of struggled after that. Right now, I'm assuming he's healthy just based on the way he's hitting. Yeah. He looks good. He looks like old Chris Bryant. I want them to pay that man his money. They yes. got to I, – I hope I, – I, I can't put too much faith in that it's going to happen, but they got to pay that man his money. They have it, to do it. I'm in total agree, agreement with you. And, in fact, my two sort of uh, thumbs up or positives with this team right now was going to be the same thing there, Kimbrell and Brian. I'll add another one here in a minute just to mix it up a bit. But Brian's doing the two things offensively that when he's on, he does really well, walk and slug. And it's fun because he's the only one in that lineup right now with life. He's the only one driving the ball consistently with some authority and hitting it to all fields. So it's been fun watching it. And this is what we need from Bryant now, just stay healthy. And if he stays healthy, just 29 years old, he's got many good years still in front of him, as long as he can keep his health up. And this has been best case scenario, I think with Bryant early, he looks like his old self and not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but kind of the same, boat with Kimbrell. If this team is going nowhere in July, Kim, uh, Chris Bryant's going to be a very attractive trade piece. As much as I hate saying that, I'm with you, Jeremy. I'd rather he be extended, and he's part of this next run with the Cubs. But Chris Bryant playing well helps this team this year. Chris Bryant playing well could bring back a whole bunch of interesting prospects. So that's what we got to juggle over the next couple of months. But it's fun seeing him look like an MVP again, look like a star player once more. Yeah, he's been elite. He's been uh... – I mean, that ball he hit today, was it was a low-line drive. It was 100 miles an hour off the bat, and it just went straight out, just like when we were there in uh, Milwaukee a few years ago to see his, his historic first homer up there. It went straight into the, the bullpen, and, I, you know, it's when Chris Bryant is hitting, I, I love watching him. He, he's, he's my favorite. I think he's my favorite player on the team, and he's just – he's been a stud. Uh, I don't know what more you could say about Chris, and it's great to see him healthy and swinging the bat well. Chris Bryant is one of the players I worry about the least if he's healthy. He's another guy who had kind of a rough spring, but as long as he's healthy, he's one of the smarter hitters on the team. We know that he, he does puts in the work. We know that he has a, a former ball player of a father who works out with him and works on his hitting with him. If he's healthy, I worry about him the least because he will, even if he's struggling, he will figure it out and he will hit his way out of it. Um, yeah, so like like you said, Chris Bryan is the least of this team's worries right now. He's the only player putting up any kind of performance whatsoever. And he's a very likable guy. I liked after uh, he hit his first homer, he was talking about his son. He pointed to his son in the crowd. And then he talked about how his son – it was the first time his son ever got to see him witness – or first time ever he, the son got to witness a Chris Bryan home run. And he talked about how his uh, son got a ball and he, and he, he goes, and then my, he said, my son took a ball to the mouth and everybody I was watching it. I was like, what? His son took a ball in the mouth. I was like a one-year-old child. I thought he got, well, he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, somebody gave him a foul ball and then he put it to his mouth because he puts <laughs> everything to his mouth. And I was like, oh, okay. But he cleared, That's better. He, he, he realized that himself and he cleared it up. And I thought it was pretty funny because the first, first thing he said was, you know, he took a ball to the mouth, but to move on, because uh, there's been a lot, there's a lot to talk about here and with our two down because the Cubs have been down. They've been down a lot. And I'm going to start off with the starting pitching, which I thought, you know, we all thought was a weakness coming into the season, but I thought, you know, they looked kind of good. They looked kind of good spring training. Maybe there's something there. Maybe Trevor Williams has figured something out. Maybe Jake Arietta can bring back some, you know, magic. Zach Davies had been a solid pitcher in his career. Now I didn't really get to see these starts, but Zach Davies going 1.2 against the Pittsburgh pirates. 
five hits, seven runs, three walks, two strikeouts. That's not a Zach Davies start. I'd never seen a Zach Davies start like that against the weak Pittsburgh Pirates. Randall, did you get to watch that game? Did you see that? Was was it just? I mean, it must have been miserable for you. They were, you know, they were laying off. I mean, there's been a lot of misery, Cubs-related misery for for me for us lately. You know, they were laying off his changeup and uh, making him throw it, throw it in the zone, and they they just weren't missing. And the Cubs have the dubious honor of having allowed more runs in an inning than they've scored in a single game so far this season. I believe they have yet to top five runs in a game and they have, they allowed seven runs in an inning. And that's, that's the kind of stat that just spells futility in numbers. It's awful right now. Awful. Starting pitching has been bad. And what's most concerning is it's come in six games versus the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are supposed to be the worst team in the National League. That start from Zach Davies on Saturday, it sucked for a couple of reasons, and it was the shortest start of his major league career. So it was historically bad from a guy who's been pretty good in his major league career. But what was frustrating was, so they play an early game Thursday, which was the home opener for the Pirates. They have a very exciting finish, which you've mentioned a minute ago, Jeremy, the Kimbrel getting the five outs, working on a bases loaded jams. Everything's great. You're feeling good. Off day Friday. Off day Friday always sucks, but an off day on a Friday after a fun win, that's no good. And the team is playing okay baseball, maybe. They're feeling good after a win against Pittsburgh. Saturday game, early on, it gets completely out of hand, and it's just like, man, there's a good chance they're going to lose this series now. And you're looking at a real difficult start to the road trip. So it, it was just horrible. It's, we're going to see better Zach Davies from there. That's not the quality of pitcher he is. It's not the caliber of player he is, but it was horrible. And for it to happen there, Jeremy, you were telling us on our last show, you're looking at six, maybe seven wins going into where we're at right now. The team had four. So that's not where you want to be, and it's a bad tone because the next month, Cubs are playing some really good baseball teams from the Brewers, the Braves, the Mets, a whole bunch of teams that either made the playoffs or have a good chance of making the playoffs like the Mets. That's a real bad sign. And this could get away from them pretty quickly here in April. Yeah, I believe uh, is that uh, they start that game off one, nothing. I think uh, Brian hit a ball off the wall, didn't get out. They, you're feeling good. And then I, that was another game. I was kind of looking along on my game day at that point. I wasn't really trying. I wasn't really able to follow along with the Cubs, but uh you know, it just seemed like I kept getting alert after alert about, you know, runs being scored. I just couldn't believe yeah. it. Uh, they showed a graphic today on the game about how good Zach Davies changeup has been in his career that he had like the fifth best, uh, I believe like runs uh, against it. It was like minus 12 uh, for some time period. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on the exact stat what it was, Yeah, but he has, a. but the point is he has a really good changeup. So you would think that Zach Davies against the Pittsburgh Pirates as Ronan mentioned, a team that's been weak, a team that's missing one of their best players and Brian Hayes, that you should be able to get, you know, you're a 1.2 innings. I mean, nobody's expecting that. That's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, and then to follow it up on Sunday, I'm sitting at the airport getting the same thing um, alert before I get on my flight. So I don't even get to really see it finish. I think the Cubs took a lead in that game too. Bias hit a home run. And then I don't know, Trevor Williams is just scared going back to Pittsburgh, what the deal is, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe he just got bad vibes from the place, doesn't like it there. I thought he might want to shove it down the Pirates. But uh, he pitches like he pitched in Pittsburgh the last couple of years. He goes 3.1 with 10 hits, five runs, two uh, walks, and 3K. And, I, you know, Randall, you were there last week. You saw Trevor Williams pitch great against Milwaukee Brewers. He looked nasty. Uh, that slider looked really good. And, once again, as I didn't see it, but – that Trevor Williams on 
Sunday, I imagine, looked nothing like the guy on Monday. It's yeah. It's Monday night against last Monday night, a week ago tonight against the Brewers, he had everything working. He had the fastball sitting 92, 93. He had the slider moving, looking like the one they had tried to work on in the pitch lab, giving it uh, more of a horizontal sweep as opposed to a up and down movement. He had everything working. And uh, yesterday, Sunday against the pirates, he, he simply did not. Uh, there was traffic on the bases all day, a two run single to the opposing pitcher really this this turn through the rotation has gone almost as poorly as as it possibly could Kyle Hendricks pitched great but he got a no decision because his team couldn't score for him Jake Arrieta navigated his way through a ball game against the Pirates and you need to be able to do better than simply navigate your way through a start against the Pirates and as you guys have touched on these first two weeks and change of the season where you exclusively played the pirates and the brewers, you needed to make hay in this part of your schedule. Because again, as you said, you have the Braves, the Mets, the brewers, again, the Braves, again, the reds coming up, the Dodgers coming up. That's your next four or five series. If you're struggling against the Pittsburgh pirates, easily a a bottom feeding roster that bodes very ill for playing real teams. And it, it, they, you know, we haven't seen, a season that's been over by May or June in I'd say the better part of a decade. Now we could very well be looking at that where they are simply buried by beginning of May or Memorial day. And there's just nowhere to go from there. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to leap to too many conclusions after 10 games, but it's looking pretty grim right now. It it is looking grim. And I think, the offense can't possibly stay this bad for the whole rest of the year. It's just like, it's, it's, they had, they went into Monday night's game in Milwaukee with twice as many strikeouts as hits. They're not, I mean, they're not, it's two hits every night, three hits every game, 10 plus strikeouts. It's been awful. The pitching though is probably somewhere between what we've seen the first two weeks of the year. So what does that amount to? 75 wins, 70, you know, it's not looking so good at this point. And um, they've got a huge hole in front of them. But I think that there should be reason for optimism that the offense can't possibly stay this bad for too much longer, right? It's just not possible that they can be this bad too much longer, I would hope. And Although I just, will say this. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Just to give you some, some stats to back up the offensive futility here, this is just uh, among the NL, and I suspect a lot of these, where they're not last, would be worse if it were league-wide. But uh, batter strikeouts, they are fifth worst in the National League. Team batting average, they are the worst Team on base percentage, they are the worst. Team slugging percentage, they are the second worst, so small victories. Team OPS, they are the worst. Team OPS plus, they are the worst. It's it's not pretty right now. They are slightly more average when it comes to counting stats. They're middle of the pack in home runs. They are they're near the bottom again in runs batted in. They are third from the bottom in doubles. That's a lot of last 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 bottom three bottom four it's it's ugly right now and those are just basic rate stats and counting stats well and and the guy unfortunately leading the way uh despite having three home runs is javier Baez, who's striking out more than 40 percent of the time he had a plate appearance sunday in pittsburgh that i i was yelling at the tv i had one of those moments here in denver where some curses were set at the television javi hits a solo home run earlier in the game gives the cubs a lead you're going ah all right maybe he's figuring it out Comes up, they're down four to one. Men on the corners, nobody out. 
And all you got to do is make contact if you're Javier Baez there, right? If, if you put the ball in play, you're either going to get a sacrifice fly. If it's on the ground in the infield, it's really difficult to turn a double play against Javier Baez. So you probably get a fielder's choice, a run comes in. Either way, you've got to come out of that at bat with one run in to cut the deficit to two. He just starts hacking and hacking, and he strikes out on a slider that bounces in the other batter's box. Javi has... I think 16 strikeouts and one walk right now, something like that. He's striking out 43% of the time. He's got to tighten that up. I mean, this is the kind of guy he's never walked. I don't anticipate him becoming a big walker. He's a big time swinger. And when he hits the ball, he can hit it very far. I just didn't like the approach there. Given the circumstance, the team is having difficulty scoring runs. Don't be so selfish in that environment. Put the ball in play. You at least get a run back. He didn't do that. And I'm worried about the way there's good hitters in this lineup. Ian Happ's a good hitter. Wilson Contreras is a good hitter. Anthony Rizzo's a good hitter. They're not looking very confident in the batter's box. And I'm worried that maybe the approach is part of the problem right now. Yeah. And if you couldn't tell, our, my uh, second down was the Cubs offense. <laughs> Randall was kind of to read off some of the stats, so I don't have to. But yes, they have been extremely futile in this first week, week and a half of the season. Um, and the disappointing part to me has been the performance against the Pittsburgh Pirates, as we've mentioned. The Milwaukee Brewers, they're going to get you. Uh, Brandon Woodruff pitched great. He is a great starter. Freddie Peralta has looked very good for them. Um, so I, it's hard for me to really get into the, against the Brewers. Um, you know the bats are going to be quiet. I think I believe the Milwaukee Brewers have the best pitching in the NL Central. I've, they're probably what makes them the favorite to me in the NL Central. They have some of the best pitching in baseball, Corbin Burns has looked great. Um, and then a game like, um, I believe, Wednesday, you know, Brandon Woodruff pitched great. Or I believe, yeah, Brandon Woodruff pitched great. The Cubs got down one nothing. Uh, Jack Peterson ended up hitting a homer off of Devin Williams, which was amazing. But uh, then you go in, and Craig Council played this perfectly. He brought in Josh Hader. I mean, they have that bullpen. If you're not getting, if you're not up on the Brewers, their bullpen is sh- shutting you down. And they got they got were able to get into the tenth. The Cubs gave up a couple runs, and you knew the Cubs weren't going to be able to get back into that game, and so that's disappointing. But then you look at their performance, the Cubs' performance against the Pirates, and you're like this is a spot where you need to score some runs. I thought Saturday Sunday, that's when they should have put up some runs there. I, I if you would if I would have yeah. bet before the the series started, I, I would have thought they score you know at least ten runs in the series, maybe 15, 20 runs. But, you know, the day of Thursday, it's, it's so hard because of that off day Friday to, you know, go back and forth. Messes Thursday, it all up, man. It, I know. Thursday, it looked to me in the box score, and I didn't really get to watch it, that the Cubs offense actually had a pretty decent day. They didn't get quite the amount of runs that you would anticipate, but they put up, what, 10, 11 hits. They hit the yeah. ball. So you, you they had guys on base. You know, four runs. They, they should have had more than four runs, but they had a decent day. But then Saturday and Sunday – the offense is just nowhere to be found. And now you're going after Javi, deservedly so, 42% strikeouts, can't have that. I, but Javi looked like he, from the box score, he's the only guy putting outside of K, maybe KB, putting the ball in the, or hitting the ball with any authority. I mean, I mean to say, and he had a couple homers. He had a two run double in the ninth tonight. Um, not that, you know, that, but uh, it, it's disappointing. I'm hopeful that the offense gets to a, be- uh, to a better place soon. Yeah. And it has to, it just can't stay this bad. Um, but there are legitimate concerns. I mean, we, let's let's keep it rolling with Chris Bryant. I, I mean, are any of us really worried about Anthony Rizzo? I'm not, at least not at this point in time. I think he's going to be okay. It's just been a slow start for him. Um, 
But, you know, Thursday's game, too, you know, you bring up a good point. The Cubs did have men on base. They scored some runs. They won the ball game. Jake was walking a tightrope multiple times. Like, his final line looked really good, six innings, two runs. But he was in multiple jams, uh, one time at least with the bases loaded. That, that, that game could have gotten away from him, and actually things could be worse right now. Uh, but I'm with you. The offense is going to get better than where they're at now. We're going to see some more contributions from guys like Ian and Wilson in the not-too-distant future. But uh, I don't know that the pitching is going to drastically improve. Um, I wanted to offer – a couple other thumbs up, just short ones here, because Jeremy, we're pretty much on the same page. Like, like before the show, we sort of talked about have some thumbs up, thumbs down, ready to go, but we didn't share ours. We just kind of went live with it. Two things I wanted to build off with that. The Cubs bullpen in general has been pretty good, right? Everybody has strikes other than Alec Mills. Everybody's striking guys out. It's gone from exceptionally good with Craig Kimbrell on the back end to other guys stepping up and doing it. And the other thumbs up with that was going to be Andrew Chafin. I know today got away from him. It kind of got ugly in Milwaukee, got slapped around a little bit. But up to this point, at least into today's game, three and two-thirds inning, eight strikeouts, something you talked about all spring training, Jeremy. He's getting guys out from the left side and guys out on the right side, right-handed batters as well. That's the value that he provides. So those were two additional thumbs up. There's really nothing else going well offensively. So I'll say the Cubs bullpen, for the most part, has been pretty solid with um, the mustached lefty really bringing some energy and some passion to the bullpen. That's fun to see. Um, Two additional thumbs down. Tony Walters. And I'm only saying it because I don't know why the hell he's on this roster. It just doesn't make any sense to me that they went out, they brought him in all spring trend. We were going to be, who's going to be the backup to Austin Romine, Tony Walters in there. Hasn't done anything. Uh, One walk, one strikeout. He'll be gone here in a week or two when Romine comes back. I just don't care for him on the roster. I got to say the other thumbs down. Jock Peterson, man, slow start. This is a guy I was hoping had a chance at 40 home runs this year. He is looking overmatched against lefties, and that was the question this year. The Cubs wanted to play him versus left-handed pitching. He hasn't looked right to me, and it's been sort of a whimper for him. Even though that first home run was a cool one, the big one late in the game at Wrigley, other than that, a whole lot of nothing from him offensively. Yeah, definitely agreeing with uh, the Jock Peterson. He has not really looked all that great Uh so far in his time with the Cubs and it's been, you know, a week and a half, as we mentioned, and he really outside that Homer hasn't done much. He's hit a couple balls hard. Uh, today he got rung up on a horrible pitch that almost hit him and he got rung up on. It. I know Randall uh, did not like that come from the umpire, but Jack, you know, just struggling. And I'm, I'm keeping hopeful that he's going to break out at some point. I, I um, did you have something more on Jack or. Well, I have a question for you guys. I don't think I've okay. shared this with you. I am in a, I'm not a big fantasy guy. I don't play fantasy football. I'm not good at it. I am in a fantasy baseball league with some folks here at a university in Denver, the athletic department guys. They do a fantastic job with the league I'm in. We switched to a CBS draft this year and it was total chaos. The interface versus ESPN is just horrendous, but it's better for some of the things we're trying to do in the league. That's a little more advanced during the draft. I had inadvertently hit autopilot or something that I didn't realize I'd hit it. So I was building up my queue of players that I hadn't put them in any particular order, just guys that I wanted to keep an eye on that as we navigated through the draft, I could identify. Autopilot was on. I was preparing to select, and Ray, this one's for you, Chicago White Sox, a rookie, a potential star, Andrew Vaughn, the auto pick from my queue grabbed Jock Peterson for me, and he's who ended up getting drafted. My question to you all, 
who will produce more value this season? Andrew Vaughn with those uh, pesky White Sox or Jock Peterson with the Cubs? I think I lost that one. I think autopilot screwed me. I mean, it might have screwed you, but I'm, I don't know about that. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, first of all, I'm, I'm not sure how much longer he is. he's here to stay, to be honest. I don't know if Tony La Russa necessarily feels comfortable with Andrew Vaughn right now. Uh, he's playing Nick Williams over Andrew Vaughn. In left. So, in left field, correct. And I, I don't know if it's a thing where Tony, you know, I, I think he might be a little – Nervous about putting a guy out there who, one, has never really played the outfield and is not considered like a speed demon. I don't know if you saw the play out in Seattle a few nights ago, but that was a ball that probably the average major leaguer, maybe below average major leaguer, is, is making without any issue. And he had to like make it a sliding attempt at it. I mean, it was a hard hit ball, but it was an out. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Tony LaRusa thinks that, you know, he's jumped two levels. He's not you're throwing him out there in left field. He's batting. I mean, it's been, it's only been, as we say about everything, it's only been 10 days, but he's batting like what in the one seventies, one eighties. He has a high on base percentage, but he hasn't really hit for anything. So I don't know. I can, I, I can see jock stepping it up. Jock will be here all year. I don't, I'm not, I'm not exactly confident that the white Sox at some point don't think either if Tony's not going to really play him or he can't really contribute that maybe we need to give him some more seasoning in the minors, especially when the minor league season opens in a month here or less than about a month here that maybe Andrew Vaughn might need to push his way back into playing in Chicago. I don't know. Randall, I might be biased. So you got thought of that. uh, I think your reasoning is pretty sound. Jeremy Uh, jock may not necessarily have a great season, but he's here to stay. He's not going to get uh, he's not going to get optioned out at any point. Um, so I could see that being the case just by virtue of uh, being present where Jock produces more value than Andrew Vaughn. And uh, the White Sox have had their struggles not to, you know, those, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I think stones. they just had a walk-off. So like right now, <laughs> right now, so as I, I didn't really see it right now, as we are recording, um, yeah. but, you know, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. It's not that the Cubs aren't struggling too. Um, but, you know, Tony La Russa is, I, I was laughing at that higher the second it was announced, um, but they've had their issues defensively. They've had their issues in the bullpen. Um, but yeah, just to add on to the walk-off that just happened, my Tony, Tony's boy, Nick Williams, with a round <laughs> RBI fielder's choice to score Nick Madrigal to win the bottom of the ninth. Scrappy baseball there yeah, with Tony. Nick's, Nick's, Nick's at night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll take I'll take Jack Peterson in that particular that particular bet of yours just by virtue of being around longer. Yeah, and uh, not to, to backtrack a little bit, but I wanted to build off a little bit on your two up, two down, uh, two down, uh, Ronan. Uh, as you mentioned, Chafin's been great, and I'm all for Chafin coming into the game. But I thought today, and I don't know how close you guys are watching today. I I thought I would have let Adbert have a chance to get out of that jam. I thought he was pitching pretty well. Um, I don't quite remember who was up. Uh, I know they pinch hit with uh, Urias, Urias, Luis Urias. But uh, I I wasn't a huge fan of bringing in Chafin. I, I thought Amber, I, I would like to get him in the jam. And now, you know, the ball was ripped down the line. I don't really blame Chafin for it. But I, I just thought that Adbert had a shot at finishing or at least getting out of that jam today. And I wasn't sure why they went to Chafin. I believe that was the first batter, right? Because uh, Adbert got that out, didn't he? Uh, the ball hit to, to Javi, and they threw home. Yep. Unfortunately, he couldn't make a double play. But 
I, that was my opinion that they should have stayed with Adbert Randall. Yeah, you know, Adbert is one of my thumbs up. I know he got roughed up uh, a little bit last time against the Brewers, but he looked great tonight. He was working quickly. The slider was moving. The fastball was sitting 93, 94. And he's the only one in the Cubs rotation with any real velocity to him. Uh, I would have left him in to see if he can get himself out of that jam. Like you said, he loads the bases on his own. He gets the first out on the fielder's choice, grounded a shortstop by his comes home and gets the force at the plate. I would have left him in there, as you said. His pitch count was low. Uh, if you are counting on him to be a major contributor to this team this year, and by all accounts they are, you're going to have to let him try and work his way out of that sooner versus later. And I think David Ross may have been a little gun shy after the Trevor Williams start at Wrigley a week ago tonight where Will Williams was pretty clearly done after the sixth. Uh, Ross put him back out there and – Williams and uh, Jason Adam, I believe, combined to put a couple guys on base and then make what was uh, a comfortable lead less comfortable. So Ross probably erring on the side of caution tonight. But as you said, I would have left Adbert in there to see if he can get himself out of that jam. You're going to have to let him do that eventually. I, I also wanted to see him get another go at it, but Chafin's been so good. I didn't necessarily think what was going to happen was going to happen. And next thing you know, the ball's in the alley, the Cubs are down and it there's runs going up left and right and the game's over. And just like that, another inning gets away from them and they lose the game. You know, in that, uh, what you were saying there, Randall, I had one other plus and one other minus. Uh, do we have time for that? Can I, can I share yeah, these in here? Okay. Yeah. Someone who ha I'll start with what, what hasn't looked good because the other one's going to make, it's going to make me smile. Someone who hasn't looked good, David Bodie. This is a guy that I, I want David Bodie to be good more than anybody else on the planet. Longmont, Colorado, Jeremy, you and I saw him in Colorado Springs a couple years ago, a minor league game. Uh, I was at Coors Field for his first major league hit. That was a very cool moment. That was a game you Darvish started, did not go well at Coors Field that night, just before he got shut down in 2018. David Bodie's looked completely lost though at home plate. He's not hitting the ball, ton of strikeouts, not driving the ball at all either. His field work has been good. He made a really nice play at second base the other day. Just not hitting right now. Okay, this is much better. This is friendlier. Somebody who looks good right now. Jeremy? Randall J. Sanders. And I oh, wish yeah. our audience could see. He's got his neutral gray shirt, which he's trying to, you know, not mourn the loss tonight. Neutral gray shirt, but in the background of Randall, two single-colored shirts hanging on hangers behind him they appear to be sweat wicking perhaps under armor shirts ready to it go looks for like tomorrow. the white Sox dugout to be it honest kind of looks like it's you got a, you got your black you got your gray shirt just hanging up there I, it looks yeah, like Jimenez he's ready to go take and... left exactly ready to go take left field <laughs> or maybe that's what it is maybe it's jimenez you know the white Sox brought out the jersey he made a whole tweet i don't know if you saw that about uh, and then they got ripped out. Like, you know, it's not like he died. Where, wherever he was, is right now, I hope he's happy while watching from on high. You need some red gloves. Um, but yeah, I, flowers. I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Uh, definite up to Randall J. Sanders looking very well. Um, and I, I, to go back a little bit, I also agreed with you on uh, the bullpen, Alec Mills. I like Mills coming out in a situation where maybe Kimbrough's not ready. Alec Mills being a guy you can trust, you know, he's going to pound the zone. He's, he's not going to really walk a guy. So maybe in a spot, maybe there is a spot for Alec Mills for David Ross, where if you're in a tight jam, you, you want a guy who's going to pound the zone. Now he's not a strikeout pitcher. So maybe certain situations, he's not gonna be able to get a strikeout, but 
if you want confidence that the guy's not going to get walked, I like that from Alec Mills. Um, to move on as we're moving on, I, I, we didn't really discuss this beforehand, but is there anything you guys are really looking forward to or looking for, I should say, more over like the, the next week? Uh, you got two against uh, Milwaukee. Then you got Atlanta coming in. I'll be at the game on Friday, uh, you know, doing a one pod. But uh, is there anything in those situations? The Braves look pretty good. They got screwed out of, of the game last night, but Acuna has been dominant. Uh, the Brewers, my opinion, everything about the Brewers, you got to get off to a hot start. You can't go into that game. You can't blow it either in the middle innings. You can't let that bullpen come in and take over in the ninth. And I'm not confident that, you know, the Cubs can jump some of this pitching, especially with the way their offense is now and get it to the Brewers. But is there anything you guys are looking for in over these next five or six games or so? I'm, I'm just looking for things to improve just because they can't get a whole lot worse. You, you hope the Cubs will maybe rise up to the level of some of the incoming competition and play a little bit better. Uh, I'm just, I, I, all I have is hope. All I have is hope right now. Hope that they will, as Ronan said, start hitting a little more. Again, I don't think the pitching is going to get markedly better. That, that's really what I'm looking for. The great thing about baseball, you don't get it in hockey necessarily. You don't get it in basketball. You definitely don't get it in the NFL. Every day is a new chance to do better than you did the day before. The downside to that, of course, is right now when your team can't hit their way out of a wet paper bag, every day is also a chance to do worse than you did the day before. But, you know, you, you keep plugging at it day after day. Eventually things have to get better. That's all I have right now is hope that things, things will improve for this club. Sure. Sure. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing Wrigley Field on TV this weekend uh, just because it's so nice to see the ballpark, even when the team's not playing, playing well. Um, Jeremy, it's awesome that you get a chance to get out there Friday. That's really cool. Quick question on that front, too. Um, I was at a Rockies game last week. I brought my own pencil. I had intentions of doing score. Colorado Rockies are not selling scorecards right now as a covert precaution. So my question, you guys have been to Wrigley. Are they selling scorecards at Wrigley right now? I was pissed. I, I don't. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I will look for you for that on Friday. Um, I had not going out there with the intention of doing score yet. I, um, I sharpened a pencil. I carried that you pencil to work. Coors Field because I didn't want to take a pencil or pen someone else was touching. That and they're heavy not selling lunch. scorecards because of COVID. I'm like, oh, you can sell me beer, you but you can't sell me all the way I carried to Coors a Field. And I left so it in there. Work. I know. And I left it in the ballpark. A protest. Was it a was it a Rockies pencil or a Cubs pencil? No, it was bright pink and uh, it had a nice eraser. It was the perfect weight. I'm like, this is my pencil for tonight, and I carried it in. I will say something else. I noticed that that maybe this is the same at Wrigley. When you go through the scanners going into the park, you don't have to take your keys out anymore. Don't have to take your phone out anymore. It's like in you go. That, that was kind of cool. I took it out. Wrigley. I that took is... it out. There were signs that said, don't take it out. I was in autopilot mode, among other things, going into that ballpark. And I, I kind of freaked out a little bit when they're like, hey, no, 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 keep it, keep it in. I'm like, there's keys in my pocket. They're like, doesn't detect that anymore. That's I, good. I was, that speeds things up. That is the case at Wrigley. You, you, scan your, you scan your electronic ticket at the gate and you go right on in with a, a smile and a wave from the brave souls who are uh, working the ballpark at Wrigley. There is no more emptying your pockets at the moment. How was your uh, course field experience? I, we didn't really ask about that. You got to get out to Denver. Uh, what I, I, I'm not exactly sure. What, what is the capacity out there in Denver? Were they allowing Wrigley? Obviously, 25%. Course field, a much bigger ballpark than Wrigley Field. 
Um, so what was the capacity? What was it like out there? Yeah, yeah. So the ballpark holds about 50,000. You're allowed 21,000 in. I went to a Wednesday night game against Arizona. The announced attendance was 12,000. Um, I had nobody directly in front of me or directly behind me. There were uh, three other people in my row, but they were probably six seats to my right. I was on an aisle. I was fine. The only part in the ballpark that I did not feel comfortable, and this is not a first, Randall, the facilities, the toilet room, not good. And there was a gentleman a couple seats away. I went into the stall just to take a leak, but I didn't, I just wanted my own little space for a minute. Gentleman, a couple stalls over, was not having a good night. Got into the Rocky Mountain oysters. It wasn't settling well. There was some percolating taking place. I felt so badly for the guy, though, because he was hurting. And if you're hurting in a major league ballpark, that's not good. If you're hurting in a major league ballpark during COVID, it, that would freak me out. There's so no the ballpark, vaccine for that, I'm afraid. No, no, no. And it, it was really violent. It was really unfortunate. Uh, I just was hoping he wasn't an old guy. That's where my head went. I'm like, just please don't be an old guy. I hope, I hope it's some young guy who was drinking too much, making an ass of himself. But the ballpark experience was really good. Um, I got yelled at by one person, one usher, I guess. And what had happened was I had gone up to, there was a, like a Jack Daniels stand. And Jeremy, to Coors Field's credit, Coca-Cola ballpark, none of that Pepsi nonsense like at Wrigley. So I wanted a, a, a Jack and Coke. I wanted to sit out in the bleachers. I wanted to keep score. I wanted to watch Madison Bumgarner take on the Rockies. I get up to the line. There were two people working that bar. The line ended up later in the game stretching probably 15, 20, 30 people deep. It was horribly understaffed. I get up to the front. I order my drink. I'm doing the touchpad thing. They had the tiniest container of hand sanitizer. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, like the Colorado Rockies just opened this brand new facility across the street. And they've got the smallest possible hand sanitizer thing like you'd see at a McDonald's. I grabbed it. I stepped out of the way of the cashier so the person behind me could order their drink and that massive line could keep moving. And man, did security come down on me like, sir, sir, that hand sanitizer is not for you. It's for everybody. I'm like, geez, dude, calm down. I'm literally just getting out of the way so the next person can order a drink. I'm not running off with this thing. So it was weird. I thought there would be more sanitizers on the concourse. I thought there'd be more areas where you could just walk up and get your hand sanitized. That really wasn't a thing. It was more around the bathrooms. And I just thought the concessions were understaffed. Like that led to lines queuing. And that's the worst thing you could have in a ballpark. So I didn't spend much time at the concessions. I sat in my seat. I watched some bad baseball and I saw a rare shutout at Coors Field. So that was pretty cool. Did they have the contactless uh, concessions? You can go in the ballpark app, order, and then you have them come to your seat or I didn't scan see it or whatever. No, and I saw no vendors, um, like a fraction of the ushers, even at the end of the sections. Um, it was a very weird environment, actually, at the ballpark, but it was cool to be in there. I had a great seat uh, out in right field. Unfortunately, Charlie Blackman was not playing in that game. He had the night off, but it was still cool. I was about three rows up overlooking the field on top of the out-of-town scoreboard, and at Coors Field, that's a pretty good spot. So for my last experience at Wrigley and my first experience getting into concessions in COVID, uh, I decided before the game, you know, I was ready. I was going to get some concession. I did. I went to the ballpark app. I ordered my food through the app at the right location. And it was supposed to give you like a QR code. It, was, it said it was going to text it to me, but I never got a text. So I went my email. And I found one there. So I get in the line. I go to the line. I do the thing when the QR scanner just to do it. And they're supposed to have the food. I paid online, you know, supposed to bring the food to me. So I do that. And it's like, 
nothing happens. And the woman's trying to talk to me through a mask and like the whole thing. I can't hear a word she's saying. So then I'm like, <laughs> do it again. So I did it again and whatever. I'm still trying to like hear her. She's like leaning over, like pulling her mask down. I'm like leaning over to get around the thing, not working. So like some older guy who's probably the manager of the place comes over. He's not wearing anything like a mask or glove. I mean, I might have a mask on, but not gloves or anything. The other woman, he's like, hand me your phone. I'm like, I thought the whole point of this is to be contactless. And he's like, whatever. So I'm like holding my phone out of the thing. He like takes it out of my hand. And then he's like scrolling through my phone to see what my order was. And then he like, they bring hand me my phone back and they bring it out. I'm like, this was not better than, than ordering. It was, it was not contactless and it was not better. It took forever. So I don't know if you had that experience, Randall. Did you, did you have, did you, know, you order I, normal? I, did you try to I order did. the app? I ordered, I ordered through the app. Uh, from, from line, I ordered through the app while I was waiting in line. I scanned the QR code as I get up and it all worked well enough. I think a lot of the concessions, um, one are overworked right now because there may only be one or two concession stands open for a whole section of the ballpark. And I think they're still trying to work out the best way to, to get the workflow going because you have people who have not ordered through the app and they are ordering when they get up to the window. You have people who have ordered in the app um, and are coming to pick it up. And I think a lot of places are still working on how best to kind of separate people out so that you get your line orders and your pre-orders and everyone. And, you know, everyone's doing the best they can right now. So if you are headed to a major league ballpark, uh, be, be gentle, be kind to the concessions workers because they are, of course, doing the best they can. I'll and, say and this. My let me say too, concession workers, be kind to people who are trying to sanitize their hands. Don't go after them. My experience in the bleachers was it was very pleasant, and I'll tell you because of how they uh, the low capacity right now, you are guaranteed that the row in front of you is empty. Yeah. And you know the the reason the reason why is not good. But if you're going to sit in the bleachers, having a guaranteed empty row in, in front of you to put your feet up. It's not the worst way to go, and you're you're guaranteed. I'm the row behind you, can you lay back? Lean well, I back. was actually I was actually in the very last row of the bleachers, uh, uh, all, all the way up in row 21. The penthouse. Yes, the penthouse. So there was nobody behind me. There was nobody in front of me. You know, you're guaranteed a little bit of elbow room because of the pod seating. It's not the worst way to uh, sit in the bleachers. And Randall, what was the first bite you had? Because I hot saw dog. what you got. You had a hot dog and a, a burger. I, I went what? right for the hot dog. Right wow. for the hot dog. Smothered in ketchup. And no, you know, plain. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to get any toppings on the jersey or the shirt I'm wearing. Plain, right out of the wrapper. Hot enough to to burn your hands if you're not careful. And I tell you that that's one of the best hot dogs I've ever had. It's one wow. of the best hot dogs I've ever had. Your your first hot dog of the year at Wrigley is always good. Your first hot dog of the year at Wrigley in 18 months is even better. Solid, solid. So before we go, I thought I would change things up a little bit. I'm hosting a little bit. I would change, throw some things around. Now, maybe the fans don't like it. I was actually talking to a few fans out in Arizona today. People that have listened, give me getting some advice uh -oh. whether to expand the broadcast, segment it, make it shorter. So I was getting some advice. Now, this is more just my own thought. I'm putting the trivia towards the end. Oh, it's man. A little bit late. So I thought before we go, I have a little theme. And my theme is awful Cubs baseball and offensive ineptitude. Okay. So today I'm talking 2014 Cubs, the last time the Cubs had a losing record. Now, nine Cubs position players had at least 300 plate appearances. 
how many of them had an on-base percentage under 300 in 2014? Randall, do you have a guess on how many? All right, so this is how many out of nine? On, out of nine, that at least 300 played appearances. Oof, I am going to guess five of the nine. Five of the nine. Ronan, do you have a guess? Say the question one more time. Okay, there are nine 24 – on the 2014 Cubs, there were nine position players that had at least – 300 plate appearances. How many of those nine had an on-base percentage under 300? How many of the nine had an on-base percentage under 300? It can't be that many. I will say four. Four. So the winner on this one is Randall J. Sanders. Over half of them had an on-base percentage Holy cow. under 300. Now, offense was down that year, but still, under 300. Here's the question. How many of those five can you name that had over 300, plate appear- 300 or more plate appearances for the 2014 Cubs and under 300 on-base percentage? Randall, would you like a shot? I'm going to guess uh, Luis Valbuena, the late, great Luis Valbuena. Moment of silence for him is one of them. Uh, Nate, Nate Shearholtz. I'm going to guess Nate Shearholtz as a second one of them. And uh, boy, after that, it's going to get real dark. John I, let me Baker. throw one. John Baker. John Baker is my third guess. And I think that's all I got for you. So Luis Valbuena, Nate Shearholtz, and John Baker of the five. Uh, I would throw Junior Lake. And who else caught on that team? Was it. Uh... Eli Whiteside might have done. Wouldn't have gotten to that many plate appearances. Probably right. I'm thinking, and Javi wouldn't have gotten to that many plate appearances because he came up what, like the first week of August. I I I would say Junior Lake confidently. I know. So 2014, 2013 was the year that. Starlin and Rizzo had a down year, right? And and there was threatening to demote him. Yes. Okay. Well, then I'll just say Junior Lake is what I can contribute here. So you got a couple of them. Uh, Randall led off with Luis Valbuena. That is incorrect. Luis Valbuena had a 341 on base percentage. Wow. So he was doing his job. Sorry, Luis. I apologize. I guess you can't really he get mad. Randall mentioned point, Nate but... Sherholtz. Nate Sherholtz had a 192 batting average and a 240 on base percentage. To add some other guys, Arizmendi Alcantara, 205 batting average, 254 on base. Uh, Wellington Castillo had a 237 batting average and a 296 on base percentage. I knew there was a catcher in there. Damn. Ronan got it right. Junior Lake had a 211 batting average and a 246 on base percentage. And Darwin Barney had a 230 oh, batting man. average and a 265 on base percentage. Some other names. And Cubs in Epitude that played a lot that year. Uh, Rodin mentioned Javier Baez, who got to, in 229 plate appearances, had a 227 on base percentage. Mike Olt had 258 plate appearances. He had a 248 on base percentage. Uh, John Baker, you, you guys mentioned, got 208 plate appearances. He had a 273 on base percentage. I'm literally just reading off the list. It's pretty much everybody. Chris Valeka, 282 and 131 play appearances. Ryan Kalish, 295 and 130. Uh, Logan Watkins got some action, 269 on base. 
Matt Caesar got some action, 273 on base. So, Randall, you mentioned Eli Whiteside. He only got 26 plate appearances, but he had a 115 on base percentage. Jeez, so there wasn't not, much guys getting on base. Even a guy who got over 300, Brian Sweeney, had 226 plate appearances. He had a 304. So he was breaking 300 with a 304 what, on base percentage. When did uh, Javi and Starlin, just curious what their final lines were. And again, I know Javi only played a month and a half or something at that point. Yeah, so Javi, I, I think I mentioned it was 169, oh. 227. Oh, sorry, their entire final lines. Uh, yeah. He had a 169 batting average. He had a 227. Uh, let me see if I get this over here. Whoops. He had a 227 on base percentage. He had a 324 slug. So he had an OPS of 551 and an OPS plus of 52. Now, Starlin had a very monster year that year. He had a 292 batting average, a 339 on base, very high on base, and a 438 slugging for a seven. 777 OPS, which was a 115 OPS plus. Remember, it, before the ball was juiced a little bit, that right. uh, OPS was a little bit more down. So the Cubs thought they were buying big and some right-handed power. Then it turned out everybody was being powerful. But uh, so Starlin had a solid year. Uh, Anthony Rizzo had a 386 on base percentage. He had a 913 OPS. He had a 152 OPS plus. So he, he Anthony Rizzo showed that he was a future stud. And Chris Coglin had a big year saying I, I should be on this team if we're going to win a world series. And he had a 352 on base percentage, 452, 804 OPS uh, for a 122 OPS plus 283 batting average. So that's my look back at some Cubs and aptitude. Uh, it was not a good offensive season. No, they uh, ended up uh, only scoring, I believe 614 runs only allowed 707, but actually the, pitching numbers were pretty solid. They had, they had five starters or four starters with an ERA under three. So that, that's pretty incredible, no matter what. But in uh, Arietta, Hamill, Samarja, and Hendricks, all wow. under ERAs under three. So they, that showed. But uh, one final thought, any guess on, uh, I was going to say, any guess on which pitcher appeared in the most games that year? For the 2014 Chicago Cubs. I will say Pedro Strope. I mean, I'm I'm thinking Rondone wouldn't. I'll, I'll Stropey. Randall. Uh, let's see. Most most appearances for the 2014 Chicago Cubs. I believe I'm going to go with Strope as well. And it almost seems like too obvious of an answer. Like you're going to give us some name, and we're both going to fall backwards in our chairs, A, remembering this guy, and B, but I'm, I'm going to go Strope for lack of a better answer. Uh, Strope's not a bad guess. He actually got uh, second most appearances at 65, just beating out Rondone, who had 64. The most is a name we all know. Not not a very surprising name. He was a 2016 Chicago Cub. It's Justin Grimm. He got into 73 oh, games. Oh, man. And he had a 378 ERA. So, uh, you know, just to look back on the last time the Cubs – had a losing record. I thought it would be an interesting look back. You saw how awful their offense was. Pitching, not that bad. Even in the bullpen, Wesley Wright appeared 58 games at yeah. 3.17 ERA away. So I, I thought it would be an interesting look back. Hopefully, hopefully, I'm confident. I'm still hopeful. It's only been 10 games. We'll see where we are. I know schedule gets tough, but hey, you know, you could play bad against the Pirates. You could play great against the Braves. Yeah. There's nothing staying. I have to play against two. 
So, I mean, Randall was there when the Cubs got no hit by a horrible Phillies team in a year they won 97 games. That happened. So, was not yeah. fun. So, I'm looking forward to yeah. another week of Cubs baseball. We'll be coming back to you some point. Hopefully not 10 days or two weeks like we did before. I think we're looking maybe after each series, a getaway day, an off day to try to get in so we could have a real wrap and not really coming in on the Brewers game one and then, you know, to them. So uh, any any final thoughts from you guys, uh, Ronan or Randall? Ronan? Yeah, well, well, I think I think definitely some things we didn't touch on tonight um, because we wanted to focus on the team. We haven't had a chance to talk about this Cubs team in 10 days. So we want to focus on that. want to talk all-star game uh, in particular because it's coming to Denver. So that's going to be interesting here. I'm excited to have it in my backyard. That's going to be cool to see. Uh, also, the huge injury with Tatis. But I got something really quickly I wanted to run by you guys. Um, watching the game tonight, I was cooking some dinner, was watching the Cubs. It obviously got out of hand. But I'm looking at the Brewers, and there's certain guys in sports, not just in baseball, but they just look like the team they play for. Is there anybody in baseball right now who better epitomizes that than Daniel Vogelbach? He looks like a Milwaukee Brewer. You see him out there. He's got his uniform on. It just Everything about him is, yeah, that guy plays for Milwaukee. He's a perfect fit. I hope he, I hope he does fine for them. I was pulling for him when he was a Cubs farmhand. All that good stuff. You know, the Brewers but he looks have, like a Milwaukee Brewer. The Brewers have that Barrel Men logo. Uh, I think it's still in their rotation. He, he looks like the barrel man. He is, he's a barrel shaped individual. I've heard him called a refrigerator in baseball pants. And, you know, it, it's hard to argue that. So that, that's, a, that's a great way to, to play us off, Ronan, is pointing out that Dan Vogelbach looks like a Milwaukee Brewer, looks like and is. Any other examples you can think of? Any Why? other examples I can think of? Um, you know, it, nothing is coming to mind. Tony Larusa kind of looks like like a shriveled old bird, so he was a perfect fit when he was managing the Cardinals. Looks like an old sock. <laughs> I, yeah, well, you know, now he looks like an old sock, an old white sock. So perfect. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. You know, I, I don't think I can top your your uh, serious example and very good example, so I'll just go snarky. Colin Moran. Two. Oh, Colin Moran, pirate. Pirates. He looks like a pirate. Big beard. Sorry, Jeremy. I have two that are not baseball related, so good, I'll get good. them in here. I always thought that Chris Bosch looked like a rafter when he was on trial. He looked like the logo. <laughs> and I thought that when he was the head coach at the University of Wisconsin, that Bo Ryan looked like a badger. I thought he looked ah. perfectly like a badger. So With the uh, hair, too. Back. He had like the white yeah, and gray like the hair. Dark that... gray and black hair, kind of. But to go back to Dan Vogelbach, uh, yeah, he looks like a beer man. He looks like a softball player. I feel like he looks perfect, you know, to be swatting some balls. Uh, I, I, you know, I wasn't alive, but the 82 Harvey's wall bangers, I feel like, you know, he could fit sure. in there with like Gorman Thomas or something and he can hang out and be. So, Randall, did you have a final thought or? You know, my final thought is that this team is not especially fun to watch right now, but put your, your stats, your, your trivia stats kind of puts it into perspective we've seen them be this bad over the course of a full season. And we saw them do that several seasons in a row. You might argue that our history as, as Cub fans is more sadness and failure than it is success. So at the very least they have the benefit of time to potentially turn it around right now. And that's all you can hope is that they do, because I don't especially want to see icons traded away at the deadline no. in the name of stocking up on prospects. I want to see this team compete. And it, it's more fun when they do come. I'm stating the obvious here. It, it's more fun when they do compete. We are spoiled by that at this point. I hope they turn it around. And I hope that over the next few pods, we have more reasons to be optimistic that they might. 
Definitely, definitely. It needs to be stated, Randall, and it needs to be stated that we want these guys to come back and we want them to play for the Cubs because it is more fun when the Cubs are competitive. And, you know, I don't want to go to games this summer when they're not losing. Nobody wants to ever have no. trade away, guys. Um, but, yeah, you know, and I was thinking, Rona, you mentioned for the All-Star game, maybe we'll talk about that with this Atlanta series this weekend yeah. before or after whenever we do a podcast. Uh, hopefully, you know, we won't be two weeks out. Uh, hopefully the Cubs find some offense against Milwaukee and Atlanta this week. And so hopefully we come back to you next week with a fresh new look to this Cubs team and to this podcast and everybody's refreshed and happy and rip roaring to do it. And so hopefully the Cubs have a winning record. So for Randall, for Ronan, I'm Jeremy, and we'll see you next time.